sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Do you think you might have migraine? Talk to your healthcare professional about your symptoms, the number of days they impact your life, and which treatment options might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. Rethreaded offers hope and a fresh start to survivors of human trafficking right here in Jacksonville. None of us should be defined by the worst things that happen to us. Learn more about how you can unlock the potential of survivors at Rethreaded.com. And by Norellis, a leading neuroscience company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic disorders. The company's unique drug portfolios strive to address unmet needs in patient care. Learn more at Norellis.com. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand And nothing, oh, nothing is going right Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a practicing neurologist and professor of healthcare science. This is what's health got to do with it, which looks at where and how healthcare intersects with your life, hoping you get the medical answers you want. Coming up... The healthcare of maternal mental health. Then, can learning to write thank you notes improve kids' mental health? But first, as a parent, I'm always amazed and overjoyed for individuals going through the birth of a child. Movies, TV, social media, they often picture nearly idyllic situations with baby showers, gender reveal parties, and many other activities. The truth and the reality of the situation is it's much more nuanced. There's a lot of current discussion on maternal health, as it should be. But what about maternal mental health? Today's show conversation strikes at the heart of maternal and child well-being. We're delving into the intricate world of maternal mental health, a vital yet often overlooked aspect of the motherhood journey. Now, each year in the United States, uh, one in five women suffer from a mental health or substance use disorder during the perinatal period. Uh, that's defined as the time spanning pregnancy and the year after birth. Now, according to the AAMC, perinatal mental health conditions are the leading cause of U.S. maternal mortality, responsible for 23% of such deaths. Rates among Black and Native American patients are even higher. For comparison, excess bleeding is responsible for 14% of maternal deaths. So joining us to better understand this issue, and more importantly, offer a solution, is a true advocate in this field. Dr. Jill Garrett, she's a psychologist and director of the motherhood space at Baptist Health and the founder of Motherhood Feels. Her passion for maternal mental health began after the birth of her first daughter, and in the years since, she's become a leading voice in the realm of perinatal mental health. She joins us now in studio. Dr. Jill Garrett is a psychologist and, as I already mentioned, program director of the Motherhood Space at Baptist Health and founder of Motherhood Feels. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here and all the work that you're doing. Um, let's start with something I kind of mentioned in the introduction. Can you shed light on why this is an important topic. What is its significance? Um, why are we, fo we talk so much about mental health, but this part of it around pregnancy. Yeah, so you mentioned the prevalence and those are some shocking statistics. They are. 
And when you hear that as many as one in five moms, one in three moms of color, one in 10 dads will experience what are called perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, you can hear that the need for support is there. And I think one of the things that I like to let people know about is that not everyone is getting the support they need. And that means that not only are moms suffering, but the mother-baby dyad suffers, mother's relationship with partners and other family supports suffers, mom, if she's working or engaged in school, that's compromised. So where we might think this is just an individual issue, it becomes a public health issue. So there is a lot of importance to this topic. I'm fascinated by the fact that you, not only are you doing this great work, but you, you've actually created this work. You, you're like founder of a very important, I think, what I'd call healthcare service lines, if you will. How did you get there? Uh, what was your personal journey that led you to specialize in maternal mental health? Well, thank you. And I am a mom to two girls. And so when I went through my first pregnancy about 10 years ago, as a patient and also a psychologist, I recognized that there was not a lot of emotional support going on. And then in the postpartum period, I noticed for myself, I come up from a family where my brother died of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. So my own anxiety in the postpartum early months was quite high for fear of something like that happening. So I think my own experience as a personal, you know, mom, but also as a psychologist, really fueled my passion for this topic. And I went on to get more training and then worked to develop supports that I wish had been there really for me. Got it. Um, I know as a practicing psychologist, you could, you, you'd be count, you imagine you're counseling folks and you're helping them through this period, but you, you also created some things. And I, and I'm kind of curious if you could share with us a little bit more detail. Let, let's start with uh, the motherhood space and then we'll get to the motherhood feels. Yeah. So I'm really fortunate to work in a healthcare system where the leadership was receptive to my interest in building up the maternal mental health support system. So we worked to create a maternal mental health service line. And then over the years, I kind of started having a vision of some grander options. And so had, again, that support of the system to create a three-tiered program where uh, when I sat down, I just said, okay, we need to train our frontline providers like our OBs, our pediatricians on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and resources that are out there. So we put together frontline provider trainings, which we've now reached over 400 providers. We put a video series together and just short video vignettes on perinatal mental health. And that has reached 13,000 people in our community. And then um, we are really fortunate to have what is the first wellness-inspired perinatal-specific day program. And it is just a really neat program where we're seeing a lot of people get better. Depression, anxiety scores going down, coping skills going up. Can you talk about that? What, so I, I, I'm trying to picture what does that look like uh, for someone out there? What, what would a day program like the one you're describing look like? to someone who's completely uninitiated? Yeah, that's a great question. And so when we were working on the development of the program, I wanted it to be a place that really was a no stigma zone. Okay. So this is located outside of the four walls of the hospital. It is in a cozy, aesthetically pleasing location, (laughs) and it looks like it could be your living room. We have it in person where other moms who are pregnant or postpartum are joining together. I mentioned that it's wellness-inspired, so not only are we doing things like trauma-informed yoga, but we're also doing walking therapy once a day. There's some sort of wellness-inspired programming. 
we have people who are trained and have expertise in perinatal mental health. And we have no-cost childcare, transportation that's needed. We have scholarships for our Medicare moms. So it's a really neat uh, support offering for the community. I'm really proud of it. Is this something that um, you have to be referred into it or can you literally walk in? That's a great question. So though you do not have to be referred, you do need to either call us or get referred by a provider to have an intake with somebody like me to see if you're a good fit for the program. And then you would get onboarded for a two or three week stay. Generally speaking, insurance will cover it for about six to nine days. Very, very cool. I am, uh, while I'm in studio, and sadly uh, our listeners can't see it, but I have like two copies of, of books which are under the motherhood feels, and in one case, fatherhood feels. Uh, M is for mom, D is for dad. Uh, they're beautiful. Uh, and, I, and, and as a parent of someone who's way older than, uh, than someone at a toddler, I can, and I can actually use some of this. What guy did you create some of this and how, what how does how do those books fit into the larger uh, service if you will that you're offering sure so i created motherhood feels as a way for people to be able to proactively cope as a practicing psychologist i tend to see people when they get to me who are struggling and so I wanted to put together some resources that, again, could be proactive. So I created an online course before Baby Boot Camp that is pre-recorded. It is self-paced. It has a downloadable workbook that I'm hopeful can be something that people use as they're preparing for having a baby. Then I have a podcast, uh, something that has been really fun called Hindsight is 2020. I love it. And Motherhood Feels <laughs> podcast. And I interview seasoned parents on what, in hindsight, they wish they had known ahead of their parenting journey. And then the books that you mentioned have been a fun passion project. Um, I created rhyming storybooks, and I figured those would be easier to consume for our sleep-deprived parent population. <laughs> yes. And it has healthy mental health uh, mantras and messaging in it and also safe sleep messaging. So I'm hopeful that instead of maybe getting your discharge paperwork that has just kind of boring black and white, you might be able to perhaps get discharge uh, paperwork plus a cool book like this to help you kind of normalize the conversation around perinatal mental health. I love this. Is this also, um, are these materials or the podcast, is that done within the confines of the program or is this available whether you're part of the program or not? So they're two distinct entities. Okay. And what my goal is with Motherhood Feels is to really embed it into hospital and healthcare systems and corporations oh. where people are. So we know that moms are coming in for appointments to their OB. Sure. They're going for follow-up appointments with their pediatrician. And we also know that the workforce houses a significant number of parents who take leave time to deliver a baby or to support a family member who's had a baby. So I'm hopeful that integrating supports like this into healthcare and corporations can be a way to reach more people and, again, support perinatal mental health. Uh, are there some corporations here in Jacksonville that are involved, if, 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 if you can? Yeah. So right now I am working with different healthcare systems sure. okay. to integrate some of the programming into their workflows. Okay. I'm also working with different corporations where people can personalize the programming for their audience. I see. So if they have a leader who wants to say, hey, we really value our team members' mental health, and we want you to have this online course. We want you to be able to return from work after having had a baby healthy and well. Um, so it's a win-win across the board. And so I'm hopeful that it can be something that really grows and it helps our community locally and then hopefully uh, becomes a bit more of the norm. I love, I love hearing uh, this because it's just such a, a positive solution to such a difficult problem. Um, as you've come to listen and talk to all the different folks in your career and your day-to-day -day life who are dealing with these issues, what are the common misconceptions or stigma 
that surrounds maternal mental health and and what should we be doing to to correct that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think stigma around mental health is improving, but I think there is also work that still needs to be done. And the perinatal mental health field is really no exception. Um, I think I first start by just sharing these prevalence rates. And you've heard how common these problems can be. That can help people feel like they're not so alone. I also tend to remind people that if they got a diagnosis of, say, a thyroid problem, right. they would probably pursue treatment. Yeah. Postpartum depression or any perinatal mood or anxiety disorder is really no different. And and then I think uh, another thing that I would mention is this is a time period, the perinatal period, where we can really be tough on ourselves. You know, gosh, I should be doing it like that, mom, or social media shows this mom doing all of that. I'm not good enough. And so I think reminding ourselves that there is good and hard in most everything, and parenthood is no exception. So if you recognize that you're struggling, use your insight as a strength and work to advocate for yourself and use resources like the ones that I'm putting out there. Got it. And to all of our listeners out there, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servin. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about maternal mental health. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, mark me on X at Servin. We talk a lot about the healthcare system on this program and the different team players. You're a psychologist. Um, is this the type of role that, that, that in terms of the people who are out there to help in perinatal mental health, is there certifications? Who is, is it all going to be psychologists? Who are the healthcare team members that do this type of work? Yeah. So there are a lot of places where we can get People supported and psychologists are one avenue, psychiatrists, doulas, other healthcare providers like OBs. I happen to carry a perinatal mental health certificate. Okay. And what is that? Yeah. So that was a credential that was created in 2018. And the idea behind it is that we would have a structured way to identify people who have education, training, experience, and evaluation in being experienced in this specific field. So if I'm ever recommending uh, or referring patients or people whom I interact with for care, I'll say, look for somebody who has a PMHC. It means they specialize in this area, something that maybe a generalist would not have. Now, in Jacksonville, is are there, I always ask this question about the amount of resources, is that hard to find the folks that you're talking about if they're not lucky enough to see you like others? Yeah. So it is a little tricky to find people with this specialization in the hospital system where I practice. I worked to create a program where everybody has a PMHC. And so that's pretty uh, different compared to other programs in throughout the U.S. So that's a real neat perk of that program. However, Postpartum Support International does have a find a provider tab on their website at postpartum.net, where you can look for other providers who have this credential. I'm sure someone is out there. They've had a baby. Maybe they're struggling with this, or they know a family member that is. At what point should they be seeing someone like you versus someone else? Mm-hmm. I think, and this is part of my push with motherhood feels, is that it's really helpful to take this from a proactive standpoint. Okay. So if you are expecting, I would suggest going to my website has a risk factor checklist. And I would look to see what are your risk factors. And then you might consider kind of taking a look at what your existing support looks like. You probably already have an OB, a pediatrician picked right. out. But do you need other team members? Do you need a doula? Do you need a perinatal mental health support system? And I think that can be a really good start. I mentioned in the introduction, and and you mentioned it as well, that different demographics, uh, we mentioned black moms, uh, I mentioned Native Americans, um, have even 
bigger challenges in this particular area when it comes to perinatal mental health. Can you tell what what are the issues in certain demographics that makes those groups particularly more at risk? Yeah. So we know that across the healthcare system that there are inequities in care across different races. And you're right that the prevalence for people of color is higher. If you have a lower socioeconomic status, your risk of experiencing a PMAD is also higher. That being said, PMADs uh, do not discriminate. They are universal experience, and people of every age range, every race, um, can experience this. And so there are risk factors, and the biggest risk factors are having a personal or family history of emotional health challenges, but there are a lot of risk factors that are out there. Understood. With regards to these programs, is there some success story that you're just particularly that, that you can share that you just just kind of sticks with you of like, this is why I did this? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I love my job. And I am so lucky to be able to work with a lot of amazing people who just need a little extra support. And, you know, I think um, some of my favorite stuff is when I am seeing patients thrive. I've been able to and been fortunate to be able to help people in pretty acute emergent situations. Maybe they were having thoughts about hurting themselves or maybe they were experiencing perinatal psychosis, which is a psychiatric emergency. So being able to help them and then also seeing them on the other side thriving and also being back to their families, that's really neat. And then I'll just mention, um, as I'm looking at the books there, it's been really fun. I've had um, patients with whom I've worked who have been gifting the book to their friends and family. So it's kind of a neat full circle moment for me. I love hearing that because these are terrific. To our listeners who may be related or friends with someone who is struggling with an issue like this, what should they do to help better well-being, mental well-being for for folks around? Uh, are there some do's and don'ts? Yeah, for sure. And you've probably heard the adage, uh, it takes a village. Yes. And though it might sound hokey, it is true. People who have more support tend to do better. And so if you do not have a great support system, I would consider enhancing your support system. It might be something as simple as just joining a a mom or dad group online or meeting a a neighborhood parent. But for those who have supports, uh, I think a good support is a person who is going to be a non-judgmental, empathic listener. People don't tend to need a lot of problem solving, maybe just need an ear. (laughs) Right. And then I would encourage people to help nurse their family or friend through this time period by offering up nutritious meals, uh, giving them a chance to move their body, getting some sleep. Just simple ABCs of life. From a a policy perspective or society, um, what... I mean, you, you've brought in some very cool programs. Um, what policy changes or societal shifts would really move the needle here? Yeah, that's a great question. And there is certainly room for growth here. Um, I think a short laundry list for me is parental leave, paid parental leave becoming the norm, okay. extending the length of time of paid parental leave, having flexible work schedules for parents. I also think working to dismantle the inequities across race and healthcare is important, and then uh, integrating and in, integrating and embedding resources so that people can have easier access to supports. I love the fact that you already, uh, when we were talking a little earlier, uh, you you didn't forget dad, uh, and I know we're calling it maternal mental health, but you have a book for uh, what. How what happened? I I don't know too much on 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 because I haven't heard too much about paternal mental health around the prenatal period. Uh, how how what has happened in that particular space? Yeah, so it is often overlooked, and though it is, you've heard the statistic that as many as one in ten dads can experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder themselves. I also have to say that I think that's an underestimate. And 
for a number of reasons, one of which is a lot of times our dads aren't actually sharing their experience. There's often an invisible uh, kind of component to their experience in the perinatal mental health field. And so my hope is that over time, this will become something that gets more research and more of a spotlight. So I couldn't leave out the dads and had to do the Fatherhood Feels D is for Dad book, too, because I think there are a lot of important things that people can learn there as well. I love that. Uh, what? How can our listeners find your program, these books? Um, where can you guide them or direct them to? Sure. So Motherhood Feels is um, online at motherhoodfeels.com. The online course, the podcast, and a way to uh, connect with me on storybook orders. And what my hope is, is that people in the community will recognize that when they are investing in something like Motherhood Feels, it's an investment not only in themselves or their team members, but also the community as a whole, since this is a public health issue and it comes at an economic cost. I want to give you the final word. What take-home message do you want to make sure anyone listening out there who may be struggling with this or thinking about this or wants to know more, what message do you want to give them? I would first remind them they are not alone, that this is not their fault, and there are a lot of good things that they can do to feel better. I'm going to let that be our final word. Uh, Dr. Garrett, this has been uh, terrific. Congratulations on all this wonderful work. And thank you so much for giving us your time today for coming in studio. Thank you. We've been talking to Dr. Jill Garrett. She is a psychologist, program director of the Motherhood Space at Baptist Health, and founder of Motherhood Fields. Up next, can you improve your child's mental health by having them write thank you notes? Our next guest says you can. Don't touch anything. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servan, and this is What's Health Got to Do With It? Today, we're diving into a unique perspective on maternal and child mental health. Joining us is Karu Papritz. He's an esteemed author, educator, who believes in the transformative power of gratitude. His conviction that teaching kids to express thanks through handwritten notes can positively impact their mental well-being has sparked a captivating question, one that aligns with our exploration of maternal and child mental health today. So let's talk about the art of gratitude, which bridges the delicate balance of maternal and child mental health. It's an honor to have you here with us, Mr. Papritz. Welcome to our show. Dr. Joe, what a pleasure to be on here. And it is Carew because the only people who say Mr. Papritz are those that when I get into trouble. So please. Oh, my God. That, that sounds like uh, myself when I get called Dr. Servant. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it on the lighter side there. Uh, Carew, you got it. Carew, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Introduce yourself to our audience, if you could. Well, I uh, I've been a filmmaker in Hollywood. I've worked as a cowboy on a ranch in Southern Arizona. I've written uh, an award-winning book called The Legacy Letters. Um, and I've been able to talk about legacy and the effects it has on, on, uh, on families and um, on many different events. I promote literacy. I have a YouTube series called I Love to Read, which uh, helps kids to, it's sort of a backdoor way through using videos to get kids excited about reading. And uh, I created something called National Thank You Letter Day coming up on seven years ago now, in which we created the world's largest handwritten thank you letter, stamp, and envelope for which we got a Guinness World Record. And recently on the Kelly Clarkson show for that, but the biggest thing, which mind you me, was absolutely fantastic. She's a lovely lady. But the biggest reason for creating it yeah. was I wanted to get more, bring more civility and manners and gratitude and thankfulness back into the world. And I found the power of thank you letters 
and sending them and receiving them is a great way to do that for both adults and especially kids. Boy, how I love uh, <laughs> that someone is out championing this exact topic. I'm, I want to focus, though, a little bit about the mental health connection. Um, you have a belief that teaching kids to write thank you notes improves their mental health. And that to me is intriguing. What led you to discover that link? Well, I think, I think it goes back to a number of things. I think in general, and I think we maybe start from the, the, the overall general idea of what practicing gratitude does or giving gratitude is first and foremost, from a scientific standpoint, it reduces stress and anxiety. Um, I find it fascinating that that studies, and I don't know how they do it, but I'd love to know, have singled out that gratitude, that producing gratitude, like doing gratitude or acts of gratitude or good deeds, re- produces a 10% increase in happiness and a 35% reduction in depressive thoughts. Wow! And I'm like, yeah, I, I was shocked at that. I I thought, wow, this is. Uh, absolutely stunning on that. So the, this is a way to bring much more happiness in the world and to, um, and to bring down our depressive thoughts. Another attitude I have toward practicing gratitude or doing gratitude is I think gratitude is like an armor that protects you from all these, the anger in the world, these, uh, the anxiety, even substance abuse and things like that, that we're, you know, a lot of people, there's just a sort of cloud over their head. I remember listening to a previous interview uh, of yours talking about the, the national, uh, the way people are feeling right now, like sure. the world's coming to an end or it's yeah. just, just it's a cloud over them. And I say, no, look at this. Do these good things. Practice these good things. And it's a way of protecting, your, protecting yourself by, by practicing gratitude. I love this. Um, can you share... Any kind of personal experience or stories that that highlights some of these positive effects of gratitude on kids' well-being. Oh gosh, you know this this whole thing with National Thank You Letter Day and and is is really a phenomenal. It's an interesting story, and I'll I'll sort of circle around on it. People say, "Well, how did this come about?" And I was actually helping to teach a handwriting class at our local elementary school. And and I've uh, been a big fan of them and vice versa. And they sort of let me do whatever I wanted. And uh, I was teaching this class and I was, you know, going up on the board and writing stuff. And I could see by, you know, the, the look in their eyes, they were starting to glaze like kids do. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, and all of a sudden, and I could hear the the, the famous... Uh, Charlie Brown music. Wah, 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 wah. And oh no, I'm losing him. I'm losing him. Quick, quick, quick. And all of a sudden this idea, because I was taking a page from my book of the legacy letters talking about please and thank you. And I turned to him and said, Hey, why don't we create the world's largest handwritten thank you letter to make it the size of a football field? Okay. They were, they were ecstatic. This is like, oh, absolutely. This is great. And I thought, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. And then I realized, what did I just say? Right. It's crazy. So we ended up doing it. And we ended up making it the size of a high school basketball gym. And uh, we oh created the world's largest. Yeah, it was, yeah. 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 When you ch- and you check it out, it's actually handwritten. Um, and, the, and the interesting thing about writing the letter itself. So, so Dr. Joe, I thought that being the brilliant writer that I am, that I'd be able to take my seven-year-old self that was deep inside me, bring him out, and I could write this letter. And I'll tell you, it was horrific. I did not meet my seven-year-old self very well. <laughs> and uh, and so I learned that I could... Um, I asked the kids to write the letter, and they did. So they wrote it. I said, I asked them what are you thankful for in your life? And we had a great discussion about it. Sure. And they came back with all these beautiful thoughts. And I put this into this letter and that's what you see. And that's I what see. they're thankful for. Um, I love it. But I what, love it. but what was really fascinating and in, in doing this letter, we actually had our local, um, 
postmaster get involved with it and she gave 600 prepaid postcards to our school for kids to write letters and wow. notes of thank you to anybody out there, to their parents, to whoever they wanted to. And I got one back from my son and I was shocked because he's involved with all the things that we do. And he said, you know, dear mom and papa, thank you for having, thank you for being such great parents. And thank you for, thank you for allowing me to be in such a great family. I wish I could write more, but this card is really short. And that was it. And I, I tell you what, as a father, I, I, I was, I was so stunned. I was so moved. I still have that card my day next to my bed. And, uh, uh, and it's one of those small moments, and it reminded me of the power yeah. of giving thanks within a small note or a letter like this. I, and it I just proved my point. I, I so agree. You know, I, it's funny when someone does send me a thank you note that's been handwritten. It, it I keep those. I it really has an impact as opposed to other other things. I I'm wondering, what do you think? What about the act of expressing gratitude handwritten? Why do you think that differs uh, from other forms of communication? Oh, I, you just, you just took the words out of my mouth. This is such a lovely part of this, that, that in, in the writing of my book, the legacy letters, I sort of came to understand why writing a letter is so powerful because these are, and I should explain to your ears. These are a, set of fictional letters written by a father who had never lived to see his kids. And these letters become their practical, moral, spiritual guidebook for the rest of their life. So in the process of writing this, I begin to, and and when you're writing in a first person, as if this father's writing to these kids, you begin to understand understand the potency and power of writing directly to somebody. But here, here's another fascinating key. And that is, a letter holds time. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if if the most precious thing you have in your life is the time you have on this planet, then giving that gift of time to someone else is one of the most amazing gifts we can give anybody. And when you write, it actually takes time to write it, to go into paper, all the, all the amount of time not only writing it, but making it into a letter or an envelope or just the passing it on to somebody on a piece of paper and people intrinsically subconsciously somewhere deep in their soul know that it took time and you are giving the gift of your time to another person. So just that alone sets up a, a, a whole series of, of, of gratitude, of gratitude feelings inside. Wow. I just received the gift of this person's time and I'm holding it here in my hands. And thus it is not a text. It is not an email. It does not feel like it was just quickly done and and it's over. You understand that this person meant to give you their time. Wow. That's so beautifully put. What, What do you think are the emotional benefits that arise when when you give your time to write, what, what, what do you think that does to the person? Well, I think you just, I think you just said it, right? When you receive a thank you letter, you're acknowledged. Don't we all want to be acknowledged on the, on the planet in some way, right. somehow, and that someone took time out to do that. And all of a sudden it's, I, as you just said, there's a great feeling of warmth and acceptance. Right. But, but um, I, and I actually meant to ask for the writer of the letter. Oh, for the writer though. Well, yeah. and for the writer of the letter in giving, you know, isn't that interesting that yeah. you've got two parts of it, right? You've got the, the, the act of giving and the act of accepting and, and for people to learn how to give of themselves to do a good deed, to, to write a letter of thanks means you are actually sort of coalescing these good thoughts about this person and, and passing them on. Then they receive it right inside of them. I mean, it's interesting. Last November, I started this thing was on national thank you letter day, which was November 14th. And I thought, gosh, we need to do something different for the day of Thanksgiving or the week, even of Thanksgiving. And that is 
the idea of writing a thank you letter, not just to give thanks for something that was recently happened, but how about to somebody in your life that deeply affected you, that may you, maybe you haven't talked to in years. And I thought that was an interesting exercise. And I'll tell you what, people just ran with it. And then they posed the question to me. And I, um, I recently found out that a longtime friend of mine, again, I hadn't seen in years, um, had passed away. Oh. And I meant to get with her and thank her for all the things. And now I'm going to write a thank you letter to her daughter. I see. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating that, that the power of that and, and just the thought, just even thinking about it really stirs up this wellspring of, of good thoughts and, and good feelings, which I think are important to just overall health and mental being. And I imagine by default, by the connection, and, and you just triggered it when you said you hear sending this note to the daughter of, of this friend, I imagine it influences the entire family unit. I would, th I would think so. Yeah. For them to receive that. I, I'm in the process of writing it. And then, then it's a, I think it's all part of slowing things down in life. You know, I, I think everything is still so fast yes. um, and taking these moments out, these timeouts to, to be thoughtful about living. And to be thoughtful about connecting with other people and even even spending five or 10 or 15 minutes in doing this act of writing this out, uh, it's a very powerful spiritual act. And I think we need more of those small but powerful spiritual acts in our lives throughout our days. I think it gives great um, reason for being alive. So, so, and that's beautifully put. You're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan, and if you're just joining us, we're talking about the mental health benefits of gratitude, and we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, mark me on X at Jay Servan. You know, I'm sure parents are out there listening to this, and they say they, ha they struggle to get their kids to do anything. <laughs> what so so i so you know my you know what the natural question's about to ask so what advice do you have for parents who may find it challenging to encourage their kids to express gratitude through writing all right um snacks <laughs> <laughs> that, will that Library, work okay. all the above yes it all works um <laughs> We all, as parents, we all have to walk our talk, yeah. you know, not do as I say, do as I, not as I say, do as I say, not as I do. And you, they need to see you writing a letter. I mean, I know it's difficult folks, but if you're going to write a thank you letter or have your kids write thank you letters or whatever the case may be, you need to sit down and they need to see you doing that for someone else also. So important because it's like, yeah. oh, why do we have to do this? Exactly. You know, they're not seeing you doing it, right? So I think that's very, very, very important. Um, and second of all, I think it's the habit of doing it. Um, it's interesting. My son just, and I, I'm very proud of him. He just won a Congressional Youth Award. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, really, oh, my gosh. It's so cool. He tons of volunteer hours and all sorts of wonderful stuff and um, lots of years of doing it. And I can brag on him as a good parent should. And, but here's the cool part, Dr. Joe, he, and I didn't, I wanted to say it so badly because we spend all our life like coaching our kids, like, Oh, shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you do this? And we came home and he goes, you know what? Um, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a thank you letter out to the Congressman who, um, who gave me the medal. I'm going to get, get on that this week. And I was, and I wanted to, yeah, that's a good idea. And said, I'm inside of myself. I'm shouting for joy because if you, if you walk your talk and you say please and thank you a million times and you write a hundred thank you letters over however many gazillion years, your kids will eventually pick it up as a habit. And that's how we do it. Crudo, I, by the fact that you got, uh, uh, the school to help you out, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. 
Um, Are educators and schools generally supportive of incorporating these gratitude practices into curriculum, if you will, to support kids' well-being? You know, it's a gr- that's a great question, Dr. Joe. From what I've seen the, the, with the outreach I've had over these last years, I mean, they're very amenable to the idea. I think especially with the idea that mental health, not only as a nation, with, but with adults, and really more so in the last couple of years, we're focusing on kids, and they realize that this is so important um, to getting our kids to, um, to, to, to reach out, to not be so inside their social media worlds um, and their, their video games. And uh, I think what it does is it, it shows, for example, we did a couple of years ago, writing thank you letters to people in our community. Um, the, and it could have been anybody. It could be, the, the trash people, the, the people at the stores or the pharmacists or the guys that fix your car it just wasn't. And in addition to doctors and first responders and so on. So all the people you think about are, or people in the uh, armed forces. But it was an interesting exercise for them to go, oh, gosh, we need to thank these people. Yes, you do. Because guess what? They're part of your community. Mm-hmm. And the more that kids understand that they're, there's something greater than themselves not just their families, but there's this whole community that supports them and they give back to that and they see that give and take. I think it's a very, very powerful way of uh, the inclusivity, right? Sure. The uh, being together as one bigger family and bigger family beyond that. And you feel, you, you feel empowered. I, I love that. When kids, when kids sense that, they sense that, oh, wow, I'm not alone in the world. There's a lot more to this world than just um, myself and maybe my immediate family, which maybe I'm not that close with, but I know that there's a greater family to take care of me. I I love these ideas. I know someone out there will say, I am going to write a thank you note, but I'm going to do it in a text. I'm going to email it. um, and, And that should be good enough if I write it the same way. Is it the same when you type it out or... Uh, versus the handwriting part. Oh, I love it. Oh, you're you're asking all the right questions. You're <laughs> I'm good to hear it. that. <laughs> <laughs> so another great story. Valentine's Day. I love talking yeah, about it's writing. Coming yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. So yeah, we, we can do we can get get two birds here, the one stone, so to speak. So um, Valentine's Day letter. I'm back up at the school again. I've done this for years. But one time I was up there and it was to seventh graders. Oh, it was so fun. And I'm talking about power writing a letter. And they're all like, uh, and I said, okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's, let's get real people. And I took a vote. I said, okay, ladies in the class, I said, how many of you would rather receive a handwritten Valentine's Day letter from somebody? Or would you rather receive a quick text or an email? But text is pretty much it. So I said, how many would you like to receive a text? Like one hand went up. How many would you like to see a real handwritten letter? All the girls, I mean, to, almost all of them, put their hand in the air. Okay. So I, I did the same thing with the boys. And, of course, they saw the girls do it. And they thought, okay, we're all going to be on board writing letters. Yeah, right. Okay. Got done, with the, got done with the class. And I said, okay, is there any questions? And this kid pipes up in the back. And he goes, uh, Mr. Papritz, when can we start writing these letters? <laughs> this cat got it, didn't he? He's like, oh, girls, hands in the air. They like letters. I need to write it now. So, yep. <laughs> I, I, I think I got the picture fairly clearly yep. on that one. Uh, a crew in our, in our last moment uh, now, yep. looking ahead. Uh, and our listeners, I'm sure, will be smiling as I am as I'm talking to you. But what message do you want to leave for our listeners that you want to share with parents, caregivers, about this profound link between written gratitude and the mental well-being of kids? I think it's such a small um, 
it's so easy to pull out a piece of paper out of the printer. I know it sounds funny, but you can actually sit down and in five minutes, you can write this letter. Yeah, it might take longer to get an envelope and a stamp and an address, but it, it the, the power of, the, not just the power, the, the good will that it brings inside of you to do it, to take a timeout, uh, a spiritual timeout um, inside yourself to be able to do this act of gratitude, to do this good deed, to do this thing that makes not only you feel good, but you know that person on the other end will receive that in the exact same way. And talk about human connection. Yeah. yeah, you can pick up the phone. We can all do that. We can do all the easy things. But my gosh, when that person receives that time, that gift, of time that you are about to give them, they know what it took and they receive it in kind. And that's a that's a powerful act of, of giving and receiving um, that I hope that everyone will do once this year, at a minimum, one thank you note to somebody out there. Let's just try that and then go from there. Karu, I wanna thank you for just such a beautiful message and i applaud all of your work and efforts thanks so much for giving us your time today on uh, today's show thank you dr joe and uh, your thank you letters in the mail right now i appreciate it and it'll be uh def- definitely reciprocated <laughs> we've been talking to karu papritz he's educator activist author and he's been talking about the importance of written thank you notes and its relationship to improving kids' mental health. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed our show. If you missed anything, you can listen to the full episode at WJCT.org and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to all of our guests. Our executive producer is David Luckett. Stacey Bennett is our producer. Brady Corum is our director. Next week's program is our monthly medical roundtable show. If you have any questions about this or any topic, let us know by calling us at 904-358-6362, email us at health at wjct.org, or mark me on X at jservin. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News. 899 Jacksonville. Thank you for listening and stay in touch. Sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Is migraine impacting your life or daily activities four or more days per month? If so, ask your healthcare professional if you are a candidate for migraine prevention treatments and which ones might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com. The American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. And Rethreaded restores choice and breaks the cycle of generational trauma for survivors of human trafficking in Jacksonville, Florida, through business. You can help. Learn more about Rethreaded survivor-created goods at the storefront or rethreaded.com shop.